They brought in a woman who was at least six or seven hundred pounds. She was sitting on a pallet. She had a 60-pound bag of manure, and she was licking an oversized lollipop. They brought her in on the forklift, on a forklift, laid her down, and they said, you know, have at it. Me being a professional, I turned to him and I said, no problem. I need my sunglasses, a blunt, and a half of Viagra. And I fucked every fold she had. I spent more time in the folds of her body than I did in her vagina. This is Sick and Wrong, the world's source for antisocial commentary, brought to you by AdamandEve.com. Good evening. Welcome to Sick and Wrong, the world's source for antisocial commentary. I'm on your host, Simon. Hi, I'm Kate Rambo. Hiya. What's cracking there, Kate Rambo? Um, well, I'm really tired. I have my period, and there is no chocolate or anything like this in this house, so you can govern my mood. You know how like people have those earthquake preparedness kits? There should be like a period prepare kit, like a a, well, pre- a period preparedness kit that there are that companies. you just have. Yeah, but why 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 not just make your own? Well, sometimes I do, but like you have to like stash have- make emergency chocolate supplies. But I mean, oh come on, I'm gonna eat it throughout the month as if I'm just gonna be like I will save this for my one hide week. the box like up in a place that you can't reach it. Put your mydol in there. Put in What's like my a couple of tampons. It's like the the one that's supposed to relieve pain. It's like an uh, oh okay, like an aspirin. I, I'm just good with like codeine. Put some chocolate in there. Put some weed gummies. I do like them. They're very good. I think that would work. Yeah, but I'm gonna take that extra all pair long. of panties, like a thick pair of granny panties. Why would I need an extra pair of panties? Because if you bleed through your regular ones, why would I bleed through my regular ones? Heavy flow. Right, you don't know how periods work. <laughs> I've seen it before. That's what I'm saying. I grew up in. I, I grew up with two women in my life. Right, and you've seen. I them know both how it is. Bleed through their panties while you watched. You pervert. No, but I've seen it happen before. You can't regulate the flow sometimes. So sometimes, you have your period preparedness kit. Well, yeah, but sometimes if you're like say out in public and you weren't expecting your period, because like my period arrived two days early this month, so I wasn't expecting it to arrive two days early, even though the signs were all there. I just chose to ignore them because it's, hello, it's period, it's not nice. And then what am I meant to do if I'm out in public? I can't bring my period kit with me wherever I go. I'm not that type have of one, person. Have like a, a mini one in your car. They do, there are companies that send out, like they send you out like a box of tampons and in that will be like, you know, period pain killing stuff and sometimes they'll send you out chocolate. It's, like, it's an ingenious idea. You know, it's an ingenious idea. What? <laughs> I just coined a new term. What? So you know how there's like a shart, which is when you think it's a fart, but then you end up shitting yourself? Yeah. What about a blart? <laughs> what? Where it's like you're, you know, on the brink of the period, you think you're just going to have like a, a little fart, but instead you fart and next thing you know, it's your panties all bloody. Do you think the period comes out the asshole? No, I'm just saying, because sometimes like it's not just just you're holding in the blood. You know, just you, yeah, you, you in, with your kegels. In my so you, uterus. you slip out a fart 
and it just kind of disrupts the whole you know ecosystem down there you think that we hold the blood in with, via our giggles don't you think have you ever laughed you really, have that? you ever laughed really hard and had a little spurt of blood yeah yeah of course so that's happens. what i'm saying you you fart like a big fart little spurt of blood I don't know if that really happens, but okay, it's a let's go. It's a blart. Isn't a it blart. Paul Blart, the security cop? That's where I found the term, coined the term from. He used to have them all the time. Well, of have you ever seen did. the movie? Oh god, it's terrible, isn't it? Well, the the blart scene is something that I'll never forget. <laughs> Didn't you have the real guy on the show? <laughs> we did have a farting security guard. I remember much to Harrison's chagrin. Harrison was so upset with that. Harrison's not a fan of the brown humor. I must. I have no, a line of brown humor. He too. doesn't like the scat, the scatological humor. But he was more upset because this guy had achieved viral fame for just farting on camera. Right. And he had put all this effort into like you know writing books and making comics and doing this this podcast, <laughs> and no one's recognized him. But here's a guy Who that farts. puts a camera on and farts. You know, in a room that has a lot of reverb, next thing you know, he's viral. Yeah, but where is he now, though? Where is he now? Did he die? I don't know, but you know, no, he didn't. I just don't, I think his moment of virality has faded. But what I was thinking would have been hilarious, and I never did it, um, and it would have been great, is if I surprised Harrison with him on his saying it was like the third host. Oh, my God. Because <laughs> he's, he's famous. And if you bring a celebrity on a podcast, you're going you're gonna to blow up. Your podcast is going to get sold to Amazon. Yeah, um, I think Harrison would have quit that day. <laughs> oh, he would That would have been the... You would have had, had, had a strongly worded email from Harrison. Then he wouldn't have oh, talked yeah. to you for two or three weeks. He would have had a tantrum. Worse than when I made that feather joke. <laughs> yeah, he would have had a tantrum. Anyway, moving on. Kate Rambo. Yes. You have a history... Of pulling an Irish goodbye. It's one of my favorite things to do, and I will continue to do Irish goodbyes as long as I am alive. I don't care. People say they're dangerous. They can fuck off. It's a signature move. It like, is. Um, it's one I'm known for now, I feel. When's the last time you pulled one? God, probably in Carlisle at some point. Last year, definitely. I just get to a point where I'm like, I'm going, and I, in my mind, and I just go. But is there like a level of like inebriation? Like you hit this point, you're like, I need to to go home like what what is the threshold where you're like i gotta pull an irish goodbye yeah i'm usually like kind of pissed and then i just think oh do you know what? i'm just over being here and i want to be at home with chi chi like eating some crisps and then at that moment i'll be like fuck this and i'll just like i'll nope out why not just say goodbye and exit because with grace because then you gotta go through all the fucking the goodbyes everyone comes up and says goodbye and you're like text me when you get home and you're like yeah I will even though you never text them until the next day and they don't care that you didn't text them until the next day it's just so much easier to just get yourself out and just get yourself on the road I guess it's a little different with a woman too because if you're leaving people are gonna be like let me call you a lift you can't walk home people would be upset but if I was just like hey I'm gonna peace out they'd be like later later bro yeah not in Carlisle you can you can leave Carlisle any house party at like 3 a.m nobody cares nobody notices and you'll get home 100% fine you couldn't do that in LA but no, I, I, I would still be nervous if you were really drunk though and just let you walk home alone I don't know what if you like slipped and fell into the Carlisle River yeah I mean there's always a danger of that but how long have I done, been doing it for like 15 years what if you fun. climbed up a tower I'm not and then got stuck on the top and froze to death right firstly I didn't get diddled when I was a child <laughs> so therefore I had lasting psychological issues from that and secondly I'm not gonna go to the top of Dixon's chimney wake up half of Carlisle and then do a fake suicide and then actually really die at the top I'm not going to do that. Fat Man Tower is what Fat the Man proper Tower. name is. 
Everyone in Carlisle knows what we're talking about and everyone in the Discord, especially Gino, who took you to Carlisle Castle for the first time, knows exactly what you're talking about. And everybody else is like, what the fuck are they going on about? <laughs> Fat Man Tower. Come on. So, you know, contrary to popular belief, the Irish actually did not invent the practice of leaving a party without saying goodbye. No, I think it's a fucking slang term that's digging on the Irish. Well, you know, what's interesting is each country has its own version of the Irish goodbye. Oh my God, I bet there's a French goodbye, isn't there? There has to be. That's exactly. Yeah. The Irish goodbye comes from the English who called it a French leave. <laughs> he took a French leave. Yeah. It could be traced way back to the mid 18th century. And there's other countries that took up the phrase as well, like the Italians. I can't, pronounce Italian but do it in um, a Mario voice I, I, I don't even know how to say it like andersene a la francese the Spanish say despedirse a la francesca it's just a French leave the Portuguese haven't had their own version the Slovenians have their own version of the French leave is it all, all slagging off the French by any chance oh yeah, yeah. and the French <laughs> who were upset by it fired back with their own l'anglais or to leave as the English Oh, what? So we leave with like a little hanky in our hand and we're like, good day, gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> and this was picked up by like, you know, Hungary and Romania and Russia. Everybody has, has this phrase. Um, but it should be noted that um, a lot of the, uh, the, the, French, the French experts, a lot of French people claim like, I, we've never said an English leave or leave is the English. What they would say is partir comme un valeur, to leave like a thief. Oh, I like it. I like how like I'm a thief. Yeah, that's I, I the French that are so sexy, aren't they? Even when the French are like dog-eared and gnarled tooth and Serge Gainsbourg looking, they're sexy. I think it's all that wine that you drink when you look at them. And the garlic. It's the aroma <laughs> of garlic. It does something to you. Germans had a similar f phrase, um, which I'm not going to try to pronounce, but it's to make a Polish exit. All right. It, maybe Waski could ring in and uh, give us some German phrases. But it's all about insulting the country that, you you know, that you're like. referring to. So the English called it a French leave to insult the French. Um, and so there's a few theories about how the Irish goodbye got its name. For a long time, the Irish were subject to harsh British rule. So it wouldn't be surprising if the Irish goodbye got its name is just another way of you know, putting the people down, like denigrating the country. So it could be tied to that stereotype of Irish drunkenness, whereas they're just too drunk to say a proper goodbye. Instead, they stumble out the back door and go home. That's the way to do it. <laughs> it is. Um, there's, another, uh, there's another theory here that is a little bit less severe that says that there was a rumor about an enraged woman who coined the term after her second Irish boyfriend in a row disappeared without a trace at the end of the date. <laughs> <laughs> nah, I think it has it not got something to do with when all the Irish um, fucked over to America. And then it was just and like... And that was the Irish goodbye? It was the Irish goodbye, yeah. See you later, Ireland. Bye. I, I like to feel. I like to think that the uh, the Irish goodbye was the original ghosting. Yeah, because it, it is was. kind of ghosting. You're ghosting your friends, or you're ghosting the girl you're on a date with. Jojo knows all about the Irish goodbye, <laughs> and he's Irish. Yeah. Well, of Irish descent. So anyway, this week on the show, we're going to chat about three football fans who might have pulled an Irish goodbye. But didn't get very far. In fact, they didn't even leave the property where the party was. I'm referring to the three, I'm going to put air quotes here, possibly intellectually challenged Kansas City Chief football fans. Actually, I'm going to take out possibly because they probably are intellectually challenged if they, they like the Kansas the Chiefs. City Chiefs. <laughs> um, 
who's Wait, uh, can I just ask? Because um, as a, you might need to define this for the rest of the world that aren't America. Is this which Kansas City is this? Because it's two Kansas City, Missouri. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so uh, and notice I said Missouri because that's how you say Missouri. it exactly. But these uh, three KC fans here, um, whose night of celebration after a January seventh KC win against the LA Chargers ended in tragedy, when all three mysteriously met their deaths in the backyard of this Missouri home. It's strange. It's a really strange circumstance. They still don't exactly know what happened to these guys. Did they have bears out in Missouri? I know that Billy Cook haunts the local cemetery. Do you think Billy Cook got them? Possibly. You know, that's kind of like where uh, you, you think serial killers come from. Well, yeah. I like the fact I just said But the bodies cemetery, were found. Like there's one. The bodies were yeah. found. We're going to get to that. But we're also going to draw parallels to another very famous mysterious case involving another group of young intellectually disabled men from Yuba County, California, who were reported missing after attending a college basketball game at Cal State University in Chico on the night of February 24th, 1978. Before we get into that, let's chat about oh, something God. even more retarded than a KC fan. <laughs> the sick and wrong patron. <laughs> this is just the start of all the jokes. <laughs> yeah, I'm just, I'm just warming them up. <laughs> just warming up the audience. So if you listen to this body and soul enriching podcast every week, then all we ask is for you to sign up for the patron, sign up for Apple Podcasts, and just keep the show going. Give us a little support. It's only $5 a month. That's not that much, actually, if you think about it. And all the proceeds go back into the show. It's not like we're being sponsored by No, Elon it's not Musk. like we're, yeah, exactly. Not, we don't have Paul It's not Blatt like we're living large. <laughs> the farting cop money. Buying eight balls. <laughs> you know, I'm just trying to like, you know, put a, a period kit together for my wife. <laughs> See, That's I, all I'm trying to do, goddammit. I'm God damn on it. my period and I don't even have fucking chocolate. <laughs> That's how in the gutter we are. $5 a month, that's it, and you get access to Sick and Wrong Second Show. This week on Second Show, we chat about a very interesting article that's kind of making the rounds right now. Is Taylor Swift a Biden psyop, like the conservative media seems to imply? Yes. We also cover a story about a Pennsylvania man who was arrested after posting a YouTube video um, of his father's decapitated head. And can I say, as a bonus to signing up to the Patreon, you get access to the Discord and... Uh, Thank you to the Swede who found the video of him holding up his dad's squishy head uh, for everyone to look at. That's amazing. I, I knew a sick and wrong listener would be able to find that. I haven't seen it yet, but it's posted to the, disco- the Discord. It's, yeah, the Discord. Swede found it. I'll show you it. So check it out. $5 a month. Get access to Sick and Wrong, Second Show on Patreon. And you get access to the official Sick and Wrong Discord. Obviously a lovely bunch that hangs out there. Yeah. Um. You can also subscribe to Second Show on Apple Podcasts. You don't even need to sign up to Patreon anymore. You probably already have the podcast app on your phone. That's how you're listening to the show right now. So you can just subscribe to Second Show that way. It's $5 a month, a couple different ways to support the show. Also, we get the archives posted to Apple Podcasts as well. So just do a search for Sick and Wrong and uh, Sick and Wrong Podcast, I think. And, and then you can subscribe to the archives. Patreon.com slash Sick and Wrong. We do appreciate the support. So let me play this quick promo, and then let's explore the connection between the Kansas City 3 and the Yuba County 5. Hey, Sick and Wrong listeners. If you're not currently a Sick and Wrong patron, you might be missing out on special moments 
like this one. Do they oh. like shove your face like underneath their balls? Like yeah. In taint? Do they like shove your face in like the fucking in the well, shop? <laughs> yeah, because the way it works at like, you know, strip clubs I've worked at, like female strip clubs, especially like the nasty, fully nude ones. Yeah. You know, they're on all fours. They you're if you're putting twenty dollars down, they'll reach back, grab your head, your head's right in their asshole pussy, just like being shoved back and forth. Like, does that the, work at like is that how it it happens at like the a Chippendales is a bit different, isn't it? Because you're not tipping the Chippendales. The Chippendales will like have their dance routines and they'll pick victims out, won't they? And oh, and they'll pull you stage. up on stage. And then they're doing their fucking grind in their fucking um, half cocked cocks. Well, I just <laughs> don't think. cocks in your face. I don't think most women want some just random boner. Just, I'm, they probably want don't mind a guy in like a G-string dancing around, but I bet you they don't want like a full boner just slapping against their face. Well, no, it's painful, isn't it? Uh, or That's Talking uh, from experience, is painful. <laughs> For only $5 a month, you can enjoy these special moments. A bonus news story, extra phone calls, and an hour's worth of outtakes every week at patreon.com slash sick and wrong sign up today support the show and keep it sick and wrong but don't you ever think of so let's get into what happened to the kansas city tards first <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so how were these three kc fans found dead outside a friend's home i mean it is a mystery it's weird i mean did they pull an irish goodbye and then just like I don't know, pass out in the driveway? Well, I can understand one of them doing that because that like actually three? happened. Yeah, that happened to somebody I know in Carlisle who went out of concrete one night, bonkers at Conkers, and across the way is like an old-fashioned lane. So he must have been going to like hunker down, but he hunkered down too fucking long and he froze to death. Yeah, I knew a couple of people in uh, in Michigan. Larry Dirty. Larry the Dirty. the band The Dirties. He was yeah. this like punk rock casualty that me wackily knew. Same deal. He uh, was super drunk. He came home, and I don't know if he forgot his keys or if he just like sat down for a smoke was too on his uh, to on the, the couch on his porch, and then passed out and just died of hypothermia. I mean, it, it's like five degrees in Michigan. Yeah, it was snowing really badly that night at Concrete. So, so KC authorities are investigating the circumstances that led to the deaths of three men: Clayton McGinney, thirty-five; David Harrington, thirty-seven; and Ricky Johnson. 38. You know, Clayton definitely sounds like the name of a rotundo. Clayton. And Ricky. Clayton and Ricky. These are proper Missouri names. Now, David, that's a, that's a fine, upstanding <laughs> oh, name yeah, of a very intelligent person. <laughs> you could tell. So the victims were last seen alive on the night of January 7th, um, hoping to continue celebrating the KC Chiefs victory over the uh, LA Chargers that night. Uh, the three men... Um, ended up just hanging out and partying at their friend's house, Jordan Willis. Uh, two days later, the bodies of these uh, three men were found behind the home, two of which were discovered in the backyard, and one was found on the back porch. So they weren't even all together. Well, it, do you think he was crawling up the back porch to get back inside? Or do you think he just passed out as soon as he got outside? Maybe it was too cold. I think he was sitting in a chair. Right, right. But were the other two for- were in the backyard. So I don't know if maybe he sat in the chair, he was so drunk or intoxicated, and the other guys took off. I'm not sure. But were they law enforcement. For an Uber? No, it doesn't say. Oh. Law enforcement has not officially confirmed their cause of death, but it's suspected that they died of hypothermia. Because Kansas say. City, you know, often sees below freezing temperatures that reach in the teens. However, it wasn't that cold that night. 
So it wasn't cold enough that they could die of hypothermia. I mean, maybe, but I'm sure they were wearing red Casey Chiefs jackets. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't like they were northern slags out in teeny tiny mini dresses. Now, Jordan Willis's, who's a homeowner here, the the um, his attorney said um, that his client had no idea that his friends were dead behind his home until police showed up at his door two days later, January 9th, and that the victim's death are, are not being investigated as homicides, and the homeowner is not a suspect. So he, he must not have a dog or anything then? To not go outside in your back porch for like... I mean, it's interesting that, I mean, this guy, Jordan Willis, is probably like in his 20s and he owns his own home. That's also interesting. You can do that yeah, in, in Missouri. Missouri. <laughs> <laughs> hey, isn't, don't they get um, hurricanes in Missouri? Tornadoes. Tornadoes, yeah. yeah. They're hurricanes way, are Sorry, tropical. they're on the coast. But tornadoes are really scary because those motherfuckers just touch down, don't they? You don't even get warning. Uh, I, I don't know. I think there is a warning. You can usually see them coming. I don't know. Can you? Yeah. yeah. Can they, people I mean, who there's experience a warning. tornadoes like a please Tornado watchers. <laughs> yeah. Uh, three weeks after the tragedy, the mystery is even deepened even more because there's a fifth person who is at the home when McGinney, Har- Harrington, and Johnson visited their friend George Willis. It's the murderer. Possibly. So let's get into the details here. So the three men arrived at the home of their friend, Jordan Willis, shortly after 9 p.m. on January 7th to celebrate a game that they saw KC defeat the Chargers. Mr. Willis reportedly went to bed while his friends were still at his house, which is kind of suspicious, but maybe he just passed out. He didn't want to kick him out. He's like, I'm just done. Oh, we've all done that, though. Like, if you've got, like, some of your best buddies over, I've definitely felt safe. And this guy's in his 20s, too. So definitely in my 20s, I'd be like, you know, I'm going to bed, guys. Just, like, see yourself out. I don't trust them around my vinyl collection. Yeah, but in your 20s, how many vinyls did you have? Oh, sorry. I did just call it vinyls. I'm going to shoot myself. Vinyls. I'm sorry. I want to kill I myself. had a couple vinyls back then. Okay. <laughs> I'm tired and I'm on my period. Uh, John Piserno here, the attorney for Mr. Willis, um, said that uh, there's been no uh, uh, cause and manner of death confirmed yet. Uh, they're still pending an autopsy, but it seems like the men died of hypothermia. He said it's a mystery, though, how the three bodies went undiscovered for two days. But Jordan had absolutely nothing to do with their deaths. They're really protective of this Jordy guy. Well, like, do you think he's good this looking? This is his lawyer. Oh, right. Oh, sorry. Yeah, he kind of has chief. to be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Jordan does not know the timing or manner of their deaths, nor does he even know when they exited his house. He had no knowledge that they're in his backyard or that they might have been in need of medical attention. Right. I figured out why he didn't go in his backyard the next day. So they obviously got absolutely fucking wasted. He went up to bed and then he probably slept. He probably did like a super sleep. Probably passed out. You know, he's 20. He doesn't, he's in his 20s. He didn't have to get up the next fucking day. So he probably slept until like 3 or 4 p.m. the next day. Then he got up, probably rolled out to the kitchen. By that point, it's night. And you can't, even if you look outside, you probably can't see yeah, shit. Yeah, but two days later... That's, that's kind of yeah, weird. Yeah, that's the first like, day. So he, the next day is two days later, and that's probably when he saw them. No, two full days passed before anyone found the body. It was a really bad hangover. It was really, really bad. Two days in bed. I mean, he was unaware that, uh, that the, the victim's loved ones had been trying to locate you know, their, their relatives, um, even though the cars that belonged to his friends were still parked right outside his house. Right, that's also weird. And why did nobody do find my iPhone? Why did nobody do that? 
I mean, that's a that's a good point too. I'm I'm not sure. No one said said anything about that. But Mr. Paserno, the attorney, said two people did come to his house. So two relatives of the deceased came to the house, but he didn't hear them because he sleeps with earbuds and a loud fan. Yeah, because he's fucking wrecked. He's asleep in bed for two days. Oh come on! We've Hell all of a had... hangover. I've been—I don't can't remember the last time I slept two days straight, if ever. I have. Even I the have. wife of one of the deceased tried to reach him via Facebook Messenger, but he didn't see the message until after the police had contacted him. But if so, like, say the roles were reversed, and this was you, and it's me, and you'd said, "Hey, I'm going to John's house to watch the game," and I, I was like, "Cool, I'll like you know." Don't and wake you didn't me hear, up. Me, hear from me for two days. Well, if you didn't return home that night, the next day. I'm going over to Jordan's house and I'm going to knock not only on the front door, but I'm going to knock on like every fucking window and the back door. Do you see what I'm saying? Until I'm, I'm just glad that you care. <laughs> I took a <laughs> vow where I had to pretend I cared. But it wasn't until late in the evening, January 9th, that McGinney, one of the, uh, the, the, the deceased, his fiance went looking for him. She broke into the home Good in lass. the back in yeah. the backyard and found the body. Good luck. And she's the one who called the police. But yet authorities still do not suspect uh, foul play. And they're looking into whether alcohol or drugs were involved, which I would say yes. Yes, to both. 100%. Definitely both. Um, this week, actually, uh, the Kansas City Police Department received the toxicology report for the three men. Loaded. And it shows that there were several substances in the body. Yeah. I'm thinking, I, I've, I've seen TMZ says fentanyl. I've also read cocaine. I'm thinking Both. definitely cocaine. Yeah. Definitely alcohol. Definitely marijuana. And probably fentanyl. To come down from all the coke. Yeah. Maybe, I mean, maybe they started doing a little blow and while they were watching the game at the bar. And when they got over to McGinney's house or uh, Willis's house, that's when they started taking some fentanyl. Yeah. And they were already drunk. It's a right. lethal combination. Um. Aliana Gonzalez here, a spokeswoman for the KC Police Department, said there have been no additional details or reports of the case revealed to any media, So, and there's no plans to do so at this time. It still remains a death in- investigation, nothing more. We have no evidence or indication of foul play, and there's no one in police custody. We're watching you, Jordan. Well, one of the, uh, one of the victim, uh, uh, Johnson's brother, um, uh, Jonathan Price, he said he believes something had to have been in their system that wasn't alcohol. Well, yeah, yeah, there's fentanyl, mate. <laughs> he says, if I were to give a hypothesis, it's like Sherlock Holmes here, for the three men to die in the way that they did, something had to have been in their system, which I totally agree with. Because he says something was taken because three grown men do not freeze to death at the temperatures that were there at the time with just alcohol involved. Yeah, but you're also free and grown men if you let them into your back garden. Even if you're like, even if I was a bit drunk, I'd be like, well, I'm going to climb over a fence. I'm going to shout for the neighbors. I'm going to make a lot of noise about getting out of here before I freeze to death. I, I'm thinking they were so high, they just kind of sat down and, and passed out. And, but the question is, did they freeze to death or did they OD? Both. Well, Tony Kagay... <laughs> the attorney for the family of McGinney says this toxicology report's just the first step in finding out what happened to the three men. He hadn't personally seen the report, but uh, he says if fentanyl was involved, which I don't know at this point, then obviously it's a scourge and it turns recreational drug use into a lethal situation. 
but the autopsies are pending or are still pending to determine the cause of death. I mean, they said it could take several more weeks. We should cover it on the second show then when, when the autopsy comes out. Yeah. yeah, I would say that. So the other thing that's, that's um, uh, uh, causing a lot of speculation here is the fifth individual who is present at the gathering who wasn't there, who left before everybody else. Oh, right. Well, that's fine then. You know, so, that's shit for them. Willis's attorney, Mr. Picerno, uh, Picerno, recently revealed that there was a fifth friend with Mr. Willis and the other three on the night of January 7th. That man, who's not been publicly named, had arrived at Mr. Willis's home before the three, the KC3, and then he left around midnight. The man's attorney, Andrew Talge, said that uh, the other four men were alive and all watching Jeopardy. When he left. I find that kind of funny. Like, the dude's like, dude, what a fucking buzzkill. Yeah, you fucking Seriously? watching Jeopardy? I come over here to party, and you guys are just taking fentanyl watching Jeopardy. I'd be like, turn on Pluto, lads. I know this great show. It's called Studs. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Now, that would be that would be hilarious if, like, the three died and they are just watching Studs. Oh, I would so love it. I'd be like, they died honorable, great deaths. <laughs> what, a, what a telly show. I love it. So the attorney here, Mr. Talbot, said his client received messages from McGinney's fiance and Johnson's mother who are concerned because they didn't hear from the, his loved ones. But And uh, um, Talbot said his client did send a text to Willis asking if he knew what happened to them, but he never heard back. Right. So family members are really Pissed. frustrated, understandably, because they're like, what could have happened here? I would have wanted to get if like this if this involved a family member of mine or a friend, I would have wanted to know what happened. Well, I'm sure they're gonna find out. Well, a neighbor recorded video of the chaotic scene moments after the bodies were found. Awesome. This is great. Ashton Brady said that he was getting ready for bed when he noticed a woman who appeared to be distressed walking up from behind Willis's house. So this would have been January 9th. An ambulance and multiple police cars arrived on the scene. And so he began recording on his phone, (laughs) capturing Mr. Willis initially being detained and handcuffed in front of his house. So here's some audio from the video. Bro, what is going on right now? Bro. What is going on right now? There's so much snow. Dude, domestic violence is crazy. Yo, everybody be nice to one another. Come on now. What is going on? (laughs) I wish this guy was our secretary of state. He seems like a kind of sweetheart. I like him. Bro, (laughs) what is going on right now? Yo, everybody be nice to one another. Come on. Do you think... I think he's from California and he's been like, he's gone to Missouri. I think it. we should send him over to Palestine and Israel and just broker <laughs> peace. So that's Burroughs. Domestic violence, guys. It's not right. Let's just <laughs> chill and be nice to each other. All right. He could, he reminds me of Spicoli. <laughs> <laughs> Reminds me of Keanu. Yeah. Ted <laughs> Fiodal Logan Edge. Esquire. Hey. <laughs> it's a great movie. It is, but it's more Ted Fiodal Logan Esquire. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. It's more Edge. Bill and Ted. So Mr. Brady said that he thought there was some kind of domestic dispute going on. Eventually he went to bed, but it wasn't until the next day that he actually found out that these guys had died. He said, you know, I had no idea what had happened. You know, the next morning I saw the news <laughs> and I was like, bro. <laughs> I watched that happen. <laughs> this guy is great. I want to get him on 
the show. So uh, Jonathan Price um, uh, said that the frozen body of his brother, Ricky Johnson, was found in a sitting position in a lawn chair on the porch. Right. Um, David Harrington was found in a lawn chair on the back porch rather than all three laying flat. As a brother, I'm looking at everything. He said the information paints a picture that we didn't really have from the beginning. And he's among several other family members who are trying to figure out what's going on. He said, I'm not saying there there was or was not a crime, but if you immediately suspect no foul play, then you should have a story. You know, you should have something to tell the families. And for no one to hear anything, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't add up. Mm -hmm. And I think he's right. If like, the police are like, oh, there's no foul play with this completely off the table. There's no homicide. We're it's just weird. looking at this as a death investigation. It's like, okay, well, then what do you have? I'd be like, who is Jordan then? Is he the son of the sheriff? Because now it all makes sense. Why? Yeah, did he pay someone off? I don't, yeah, I don't know. why homicide is off the table. Well, investigators are looking into it, but they say they have no idea what happened. And this is Casey's finest. <laughs> we just got no <laughs> goddamn idea what happened to those youngins. I mean, they just got the toxicology report. There's multiple drugs in their systems. But they still feel like it, there's a possibility that they're, you know, that hypothermia you know, might, might have come into play. I mean, the low temperature that night was 33 degrees, Holy one shit. degree Celsius. Which 33 oh, one degree Celsius. is not that bad. One degree Celsius is fucking nothing. Yeah, like, 33. I mean, it's cold. Believe me, it's way, way colder than L.A., but it's not that bad. Did you uh, Google to see how long it would actually take you? Like, say you were just outside in a mini dress, like what I would go out in, and just like a shitty flimsy coat. Like, how long would that theoretically actually take you to achieve frostbite into hypothermia? Well, because you know it's not—it's not exactly painless. It's very painful to go through this process as well. Well, not if you're passed out, and that's the thing. That's I true. mean, these guys might have been right. so fucked up that they sat down. Being like, we're too drunk to drive. And they sat down next to you, they pass out. And after like, you know, being passed out for five hours and 33 degree temperatures, I mean, it's a good chance your your body might shut down. No, I don't think it's hypothermia. I think what they've had is some botched fucking fentanyl that Geordie has given them. And Geordie's going to go to jail for this fucking bad fentanyl that he's got. Well, I mean, they're still waiting on a ruling on the cause of death. So they don't know exactly what happened. Um, there's a company called Frontier Forensics, a private company okay. that, that uh, provides autopsy services for counties in Kansas and Missouri. So they're in a separate entity from the police department. Good. So That's the, what you want. the police don't have any impact ex- ex- onto uh, you know, the, the, the circumstance of their investigation. Good. So now is the homeowner, Jordan Willis, still considered a suspect? So... I think the major factor here that's fueling speculation about his guilt is that how did he not know that the bodies of his three longtime friends were on his back porch in his backyard for two days? Well, I just gave you several scenarios about why he might not have seen them. I mean, it's weird. It's very weird. But, I mean, if he's... It also depends. We've not seen the house or anything, so we don't know, like, is there actually any room that would require him to go even towards the back of the house? Maybe his house is all front-facing. So, like, he could come down the stairs, and there's his fucking kitchen with his dinette, and to that, off of that is, like, a living room. So, theoretically, he never has to use his back door or go near it. 
And if he doesn't have a dog, he's not going in his garden. He's in his 20s. He's not doing any fucking gardening. Well, it's just odd that the, the, the thing is, too, the, the whole neighborhood's covered in snow. So the, the dudes that are lying in the backyard could be covered in snow. Their cars could be covered in snow. So they're not in his driveway. He probably wouldn't have noticed them. Yeah. But the guy on the porch. Who, now, that, that's, that's odd. That's unusual that he wouldn't see someone just chilling on his porch. Yeah, is that on his front porch? Back porch. Yeah, again, if we don't know the layout of this house, I've not seen like pictures of it. If he has no reason to go near the back of his house, then he's not going to notice it. I think they OD'd on on Fent- shitty fentanyl. That's yeah. what I'm thinking. Like they got a they got a bad batch of fentanyl. I think those three were taking fentanyl, watching Jeopardy, and I don't think Jordy was. I think Jordy, like, yeah, maybe he takes a bit of ching. But he was just wrecked. You know, he's had a lot of beer. He goes to bed. These three fent heads watching Jeopardy. And then they're like, should we go catch an Uber home? And they're like, yeah. And then they get outside and they're all just like. But they didn't even go out the front door. They <laughs> yeah. went the back door. Yeah, because so... they're off the nut. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. The, so Jordan Willis, the homeowner, has fully cooperated with the investigation. Um, he said through his attorney that he's been devastated by the deaths of his friends had no idea they were still in his backyard or that they were in need of medical attention, being that he knew they were doing some drugs and they might have been ODing. But he had no idea about any of this until the police showed up two days later. Um, He said the last time that Willis saw them was when they left and he went to bed and he didn't even know that they died. Um, Since... The bodies have been found. Willis has moved out of the home. Well, I wonder yeah. if that's like a legal haunted. way to break a lease. Uh, I think it is. Like, like, I wonder if your landlord's all right. Some people died. There's been a murder at your house. We can break the lease. Mine, I would be like, I'm never leaving here now. This house is now my best friend. Well, you know, it's interesting because when, when you purchase a home, I think they're legally obligated to, to tell you if there's a crime committed there. I don't think so. I've seen so many horror movies where they're like, after they've moved in, she's like, weird things have been happening in the house. And she's like, I, I didn't want to tell you this I because you if, guys were settling in so well. I think if you find out, though, you can sue the Ooh. realtor, I think. You know, they, we, we, did a, we did this topic a while ago. There's no way they can do that in Britain because... Every house, literally every house is built on a Roman burial ground. There's no way that they can say that yeah, your house saying, is not built on Roman blood. But if within the past 100 years, did someone die in your property? Well, yeah, my old house, my dad died in it. When my mom sold that house, she didn't say, oh, and by the way, natural in the second causes, bedroom. Though. I'm just saying, did someone die of unnatural oh, causes? But there? why does it matter if, who, however they've died? Why does it well, matter? Because, I mean, if they died of natural causes, old people die. That's how it happened. People die of you know, uh, fatal diseases. That's that, that's that I understand. But if someone committed suicide or if someone was murdered in your home, I wouldn't mind no being privy to that knowledge. But if you're a renter, you'd have no idea. We have no idea how many people live in this house who've committed a murder here. Oh, I'd love to know. I know it's interesting. Um, but Jordan Willis, I think after the bodies of his friends were like, you know, there's some bad juju in this house. I'm out of here. And he reportedly checked into rehab. Oh, oh it, it thickens, it gets deeper. So the questions that are raging on social media, because I get all the TikTok detectives yes. um, and Reddit detectives, they're saying, why hasn't the owner been named a suspect? What's taking so long to determine the cause of death? And the mystery is you know, totally viral. That's kind of why we're talking about it. Uh, but the family members are the ones who are very frustrated. Um, they said, you know, my son, these other men are wonderful people. They deserve justice. 
the whole story needs to come out. So when, when will it come out? Maybe never. I'm not sure. Well, I think for three men to die at the same time after leaving a party, that is kind of retarded. It's kind of retarded, yeah. And these three men also celebrating the, 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 the victory of Kansas City, equally retarded. Yes, says the Lions fan. Exactly. Now, now, I'm, now I'm rooting for the Niners. But anyway, there's a lot of parallels between these three guys and the way they died and another famous case, the Yuba County Five. There is. Who had, what, five intellectually challenged men, all sports fans, that watched a game, a basketball game, though, not football, and then mysteriously vanished dun, until dun, their dun. bodies were found. Yeah. So what happened there? So they were actually uh, known as the boys to their nearest and dearest. And the boys are actually five men, five guys, if you will. And they were ranging in ages from 23 to 32. And they also had IQs ranging from Forrest, your boy is different, Miss Gump, uh, to Leonardo DiCaprio going full on spacker in What's Eating Gilbert Grape. You actually thought he was retarded, didn't you? Yeah, when I first saw that movie, or that, yeah, when I first saw that movie, I was like, oh my God. Like, I... I didn't know because I didn't know who Leonardo was, but I, yeah, I thought he was actually a retarded person. However, can you argue that Forrest, that Tom Hanks was going full retard with Forrest Gump? Of course he was, because Tom Hanks is a normal method actor. He's a. Me- I don't think he is a method actor. <laughs> he just went full method, retard. He did go full retard Reta- with yeah. uh, with Forrest Gump. It's a way to win an Oscar. It's known. It's a oh, trope. Yeah. Also, if the Uber County Five were going to be forming a punk band, they might have called themselves the My- Mouth Breathers. Or the window lickers. I hope people are getting my drift here. Like, you know, there are a few sandwiches short of a picnic. It's like a picnic I would never go to. Synapses are firing. They are. So these five men, who are actually probably smarter than I am in many ways, were Jack Magruder, but we're going to call him Doc. He was 30. We have Theodore Ted uh, Weir. He's 32. Teddy! (laughs) We have William Billy Sterling, or Bill. He was 29. We have Gary uh, Mafias, he's 25, and we have Jack Hewitt, 24. They all lived in Marysville, uh, Marysville, California, um, which is shockingly in Yuba County. And they had met each other through an adult special needs nonprofit called Gateway Projects in Yuba City. I also want to say out here that this is a huge subject. There are like serial podcasts about this, like as in multiple fucking episodes. So we're going to try and cram it down, really cram all this information in. Yeah, so we're going to try to cover this in a half hour because that's how we do journalism. It is. We don't, who needs a, like a serial <laughs> podcast? You know, we're just going to gloss over shit. Overkill. So the Gateway program was open to a wide array of people with various conditions, including both mental and physical problems. So I was being a bit unkind before as Ted Weir, Jackie Hewitt, and Bill Sterling. Teddy! Teddy! <laughs> They're all somewhere on the autistic spectrum, which obviously has its varying degrees. Jackie, he lived on a farm with his family. He had a beagle named Bo. He's the most severely handicapped. He had an IQ of around 40, which actually probably matched <laughs> the beagle Bo. He has a droop to the head. He's got a speech impediment. He couldn't read or write. He couldn't dial a phone. But he could communicate, you know, and he relied on his best friend in the group, Ted, to assist him in everything, especially in going to the bathroom, wink, wink. Is that true? No. All right. Um, Teddy thought of himself as Jackie's big brother, and the two were kind of pretty inseparable, like they hung out a lot. 
And Ted is super affable. He would be a great contestant for the Undateables or Love on the Spectrum, which is the new American show that is taking America by storm. What? I haven't even heard of this. There's a show called Love on the Spectrum. Yeah, it's just like the American version of the Undateables. So it's just autistic dating. Basically, yeah. It's like, imagine like eight-year-olds who can have sex. That's what the show is. I don't want to imagine eight-year-olds having no, sex. No, it's like the mentality, because that's what right, like, that's a lot different. of them are like. I don't want to think about like eight-year-olds <laughs> having that. sex. It's like, that's not a show <laughs> I want to watch. So Jesus. I'm not a pedophile, <laughs> I just said it. Okay, you did get banned from Facebook. Uh, I don't even like blondes. Right. He lo- Teddy also loved meeting people. He would often wave happily at strangers. And if they didn't wave back, he would become upset for hours. So you have to wave at them. Sensitive. He didn't have much common sense, though. He has maybe about the same as a beagle. So you- he's happy to be there. He's a bit daft. He might run off if you don't keep his eye on them, you know. So there's an example of his lack of common sense. He once got swindled in an art shop and he spent $100 on, spent- on pencils. But it's not like I can talk because I would spend $100 on like one porcelain zoo animal. You know? Yeah, I think it's an equal intellectual level there. I think we're on level playing ground. He also had to be dragged out of the family house when it was burning to the ground one time. So again, he's not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but he's a good egg. He has a nice heart. His mother said that Teddy was a very loving person. He loved life and he loved people. I bet you he got the most ass out of the crew. I think it was Gary who got the most ass, actually. He wore Coke bottle glasses um, because of a childhood accident where he'd fallen out of a moving car. He suffered a head injury so bad that he went blind for four days, and when his vision came back, it never returned properly. Although he never suffered from a mental condition as a child, it's thought that this accident is what brought on his later mental problems. Uh, You're not convincing me that he got the most ass. You'll see. All right. So he suffered from schizophrenia. He took stelazine and uh, conchentin to control this. And he's discharged from the army because of this. He'd been violent in the past. And he'd been twice charged with assault. Wait a second. Do they allow rotundos in the army? Well, this he just has schizophrenia. He's not retarded. Same he's death. able. He's normal. So he comes back from his stint in Germany. He struggles with keeping up with taking his meds. And he's going to lapse into disorientation and psychosis. When he were, is how his stepfather, Bob, would uh, refer to those moments. Uh, Gary also loved the Rolling Stones, and this is why he got the ass. He was actually the lead singer of a band called The Fifth Shade. And uh, I can also confirm for everyone listening, it's not drummers who are the dumb ones. It's always the singers. Okay. All right. Now I can understand. He probably did get a lot of ass. If you're in a band, you get ass. Yeah. This band even won a Battle of the Bands contest at the Uber sort of fairgrounds. I'm not saying that's like making you the best band in the world, but they won. And this really impressed his high school sweetheart, Lisa. So he had a regular bang buddy. Yeah, but was Lisa also intellectually disabled? No, because he's normal. He just yeah, has schizophrenia. Yeah, but she could have been. We don't know. He so, hung out with this crew, the dream team. You'll hear why he hung out with them in a bit. So Jack, who we're calling Doc, he was called Doc by his family. He's never formally diagnosed with anything solid at all, but he's just regarded as slow. And like Gary, he had real job, like quote unquote real jobs. Jack had also been in the army. He'd served his time. He returned back and he got a job as a dishwasher. 
Jack's pretty independent. He really treasures his car and according to his nephew, was a sensitive and intelligent man, just extremely shy in social situations. His favorite TV show was I Love Lucy. He liked to listen to Motown music. His favorite group was Diana Ross and the Supremes. He loved the music and he could dance to it. It's pretty cool. I can understand that. Yeah. So Jack had also known Bill for around eight years. He helped Bill, who probably had Asperger's, uh, get a job as a dishwasher at Sunsweet Growers, which is a dried fruit company. Bill found it hard to use the dishwasher, and so he was let go. You Take know, that smirk off your face, dude. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm just going to like call attention <laughs> to the fact that my previous apartment, um, I had a dishwasher there. Don't have a dishwasher at this apartment. Kate never mastered, fully mastered how to use it. We talk about, I use that dishwasher every day. Yeah, but you always had trouble with it. You always had trouble with it. Yeah, it came off the rails all the time. It was a (laughs) shitty, tiny little dishwasher. Okay. I had a job. You and Jack can't use dishwashers. Bill, actually, and it's proof something. I started as a pot washer in the kitchen. I worked my way up the line, which is exactly how you should do it, all right? He couldn't even do it, so he can't work the line. You're out. (laughs) His mother also forced Bill to quit his second dishwashing gig at the Beale Air Force Base because the recruits were getting wasted for fun and then they're just going to steal his money in gambling. You would have been one of these horrible recruits. I never would have done that. You totally would have. Bill's deeply religious. He spends his spare time at the library. He reads books on Jesus and mentally handicapped people. And then he would recite these books back to patients in the mental hospitals that he visited. Wait, wait. He reads books about mentally handicapped people? He was very intrigued about how the brain works and like what's exactly wrong with him and why, why normal people are normal. Uh, you know, I'm kind of surprised he can read. David. No, I mean, <laughs> the guy can't use a dishwasher. Yeah, but just because you can't use a dishwasher doesn't mean you can't do other things. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> so the boys all had a close bond, and Gary was said to have a very protective nature over all of them. And he probably would have hit me for some of the comments I've been making, and you too. So I guess that makes Gary the Rottweiler of the pack. They'd all met in the mid-70s at the Gateway Project, and they began playing on the Gateway basketball team, the Gateway Gators, <laughs> together in 1977. <laughs> do you like it? <laughs> The Gateway Gators. Gary used the Gateway Center for drugs counseling and his drugs counselor, Don. Don is such a 1970s man name, isn't it? It's a good drug counselor name. It is. Don was also himself a former addict. He helped Gary to keep on the right balance of meds. He encouraged him to stay on the straight and narrow. So it was actually Don who introduced Gary to the basketball team because Gary had been on the football team in Garba High. His position was defensive end. Like someone else I Nice know. job there. <laughs> I have no idea who you're talking about. <laughs> the men soon became a really tight-knit team, and they also went bowling every Saturday, too. So they're hanging out, like, outside of the Gateway. It's not just the Gateway Project. They're crew. They yeah. are. They're crew. In fact, they were so good at dribbling on court that they got asked to attend the Special Olympics. Now, is the Special Olympics still a thing? Is it still called the Special Olympics? Can we go to it? Yeah, it still is a thing. Is it like they'll have dwarves there and Yeah, I think people who are uh, physically disabled can compete. Not just wheelchair users is what I mean. There'll be like autistic people there with like bows and arrows. I don't know about autistic people, but possibly, I'm not sure. But I do know the Special Olympics is a thing. And it's called the Special Olympics. Yeah, did you bring this up like, was it a year and a half ago, two years ago? We were talking about Paralympics versus Special Olympics. 
Right. So so only wheelchair users will be at the para the and they won't be at the yeah. specials. So special, the special Olympics is I think, Asperger's and autism. No, I think the par- Special Olympics is people with like Down syndrome. But why can't autistic people be in the Special Olympics? They might be. I mean, I just think there's a Do you think there's they would a have level an edge? of the spectrum. You got to be on the far end of the spectrum yeah. to be the Special Olympics. Because if you've just got Asperger's, I feel like you would win every fucking competition. Yeah, I think it's an unfair advantage. So they were going to the Special Olympics, which is being held in Sacramento on Saturday, February the 25th, 1978, where the first uh, prize was a week's all-inclusive holiday to Los Angeles, uh, which means it's going to be hand jobs down the strip. Come on, what else are you going to spend Especially at that time. Exactly. The night before, all boys laid out their uniforms at home for the competition. Ted asked his mother to wash his new high-top speakers, uh, sneakers, <laughs> noise speakers, Gary asked his mother to make sure he didn't sleep through his alarms. The others all mentioned to their families how they were looking forward to the tournament, followed by a week's worth of hand jobs should they win. Well, haven't you read about all the sex that happens in the Olympic like yeah. hotels that they hang out at? The, yeah. the bungalows or wherever they stay during the tournament? So I wonder if that happens at the Special Olympics. We should do a behind the scenes at the Special Olympics. I, I would just be interested to know if there's like a lot of fucking going on. I think there is. So the next day is Friday, February the 24th. They all got into Doc's, uh, Doc Magruder's Turquoise and White, 1969 Mercury uh, Montego. Yeah, Mercury Montego. It's a nice car. Is it a flash car? It's a, yeah, more or less. I saw some pictures. I was like, okay. Yeah. And they drove 46 miles north to watch a basketball game at the California State University at Chico before their game the next day. So they watched the game and then they stopped for snacks at Bears Market. Um, this annoyed the clerk at the store because they had kind of wanted to close early and income this kind of gaggle of <laughs> it's a gaggle, gaggle of, of gooses. <laughs> income these silly gooses, right? So these silly gooses bought one hostess cherry pie, one Langdendorf lemon pie, which I had a danged old time trying to Google. It's I'd never heard, heard of that of before. I wonder if it was local. They had one Snickers bar, one Marathon bar. Two Pepsis and a quart and a half, which is about three pints-ish for the metric crew, or it's just one whole bag to the Canadians of milk, right? And then witnesses saw them all climb into the Mercury and they were driving south, heading back towards Uber City. So it's an easy drive. It's a straight shot down Route 70. What could possibly go wrong? And you know, a key difference here um, between the, the previous story that we just did is there's no fentanyl involved. Like they're not doing, there's not like illegal substances in their system. They're eating at like a, a Snickers bar pies. and some milk. Yeah, there's, there's sugar in this guy's, yeah. these guys' system. At 5 a.m. the next morning, uh, Imogen Weir's uh, mother to the beagle like Teddy, she wakes up at 5 a.m. and she said she was filled with anxiety and fear and she goes to check his bed and she finds it empty. So she called Bill's mother Juanita who had been awake since 2 a.m. and she'd just been waiting for her son to come home. Not that, you know, they obviously do the mother's thing. They ring around. None of the boys had returned home. And none of the boys, except for 25-year-old Gary, had ever stayed out all night before. All the families are now alerted to their son's disappearance. They rang the police, which was followed by three days of fruitless searching for the fruitcakes along the routes between Yuba and Chico. And I mean, it, it is kind of, I mean, it's unusual. It's like, you know, they probably have a curfew. I would be so worried, especially because they'd never stayed out all night before. And you just, I would just think they've been in a car wreck. What was Gary doing? Is he the one that gets all the ass? The one in the band, yeah. Oh, okay. So that's why he stays out all night. He's high functioning. 
So it was Lieutenant Lance Ayres of the Yuba County Sheriff's Office who put out the nationwide bulletin about the missing boys. And for him, this was kind of a personal case because he had gone to school with Teddy and his brothers. So he's involved. A park ranger notified police that he'd seen a car parked on the side of the road that runs through the Plumas National Forest. And it was quickly established that it was the Spedmobile that had belonged to Doc. But the car was more than 70 miles away from Chico. It was facing the wrong direction to any route that would take them home. And it was also extra concerning as none of the men were prepared for the weather at all. All of them were wearing like, you know, miniskirt dresses, no jackets. (laughs) They were all wearing light windproof jackets and they had abandoned the car along a dirt road. It was in a really high elevation area of forest about four and a half thousand feet up past the snow line. And Bill and Jack's fathers confirmed that neither of their kids would have gotten out the car willingly as both hated the cold and being outside in general. And that's something I can relate to. And plus it's dark. Uh, Yeah, it's dark. So the car malfunctioned and they had to pull over. No. They didn't? So why why did they stop? Why didn't they just, why did they park the car? Like why? No one quite knows that. that. So no one knows exactly why they they got out of the vehicle. No. They probably had to abandon the car because it was snuck in a snowdrift. There was evidence that they had tried to free it. And to be fair, I wouldn't have a first clue how to get myself out of a snowdrift either if I didn't have a shovel. They didn't have a shovel. They just have like, you know, Snickers and milk. They don't want to know. But investigators also felt certain that the men could easily have been able to push the car had they been able to. Well, so it wasn't that stuck. Yeah, but I got to point out they are rotundos, so they probably didn't even think about that. Yeah, but two of them aren't rotundos and have been in the army. So they certainly know how to push a car. I'm kind of upset that the car they're driving is a Mercury Montego Why and did not you want one? a long van or a short bus. Because <laughs> <laughs> that You're just so makes more nasty. sense. <laughs> The car was in working condition. The keys were missing, but when the police hotwired it, it ran with no problems and it had a quarter tank full of petrol. It's in good shape. He had no dents or marks despite the long drive over a very badly pitted road. So that meant that um, Doc had been driving with due care and caution and he wasn't flipping bitches and he wasn't rolling down the blacked out windows of his Toyota 86 with personalized plates to stick his mingle, middle finger up at other drivers. Well, that, like some other drivers well, I know. Well, that's his problem there because that's how you pay attention to what's going on. Uh-huh. Jack's nephew said, Uncle Doc could negotiate such a road easily. My, gr- my grandmother and he lived in a house on a rutted dirt road approximately one and a half mile or more from the main road. He drove such a road nearly every day. So, like, Doc is a good driver. Like, nobody's like, saying that Doc is a bad driver. Definitely a good driver. Definitely. Definitely a good driver. David, he is a good driver. <laughs> and the fact that he has a fucking driver's license and I don't says something. You it know? does say a lot, actually. Another thing that worried his parents was that the car had been left unlocked. One of the windows had been rolled down. Something that Doc and most car owners would never do if they know that you're leaving your car for any length of time. So they could have been hustled out the car thinking that they're going to go back to it. And they never do. And the car was also littered with the debris of like their late night pie and milk fest. (laughs) But they found maps. Maps were found in the glove compartment. So they weren't exactly like in a you know up shit's creek they had maps as if they can read a map again two of them have been in the army <laughs> i know day. but they, they one one guy was a schizophrenic 
And I forget the other guy's issues. But yeah, there were issues there. <laughs> I doubt they were reading maps. Bit in the army is all I'm going to say. I am curious, though, why they got out of the car. None of the men had any ties to this area, as far as anyone knew. None of them had been there before, or had even driven on the road. And the investigation was also so down because of the snowstorm. Over nine inches... And trust me when I say I know what nine inches looks like. Of snow was dropped in the area. Search teams, they struggled in these conditions. Two of the 50 searchers, which included Teddy's dad and his dog, Bo, uh, they were on snowmobiles. Um, Ted and Bo didn't have to be rescued, but two other rescuers had to be rescued themselves. And it soon dwindled down to an eight-man task force. But because of these like super dangerous conditions, the search is halted after only five days. Now, now that's some extreme weather. What happened in Kansas City was 33 degrees. Sure, it's fucking cold. Sure, there's probably snow that's sticking to the ground, but that's not nine inches of snow and, and people need to be rescued. I looked at pictures, so um, I can't remember which website it was because I, I looked at a few for this. But somebody had been up to the same pass in like 2021 and like the snow banks were huge. Like just the amount of snow was incredible. So the investigation had slowed down, but it wasn't over. And it was now that a man came forward with a kind of somewhat bizarre story. So we have 55-year-old Joseph Schoens, Schoens, I hope I'm saying his name right. Whatever, it's not like he's alive to come and get me. Of Sacramento, he'd been driving up the same road in his Volkswagen Bundy Beetle to check out a cabin near Bucks Lake ahead of a planned ski trip. His car also got stuck, and he actually suffered a mild heart attack when he was trying to free the car. So he's in paralyzing, excruciating pain. He lays down in the car. You know, he's got the car running and he huddles up for warmth and he's waiting for daylight so he can try and flag down a motorist for help. Now that makes sense. That's, that's a sensible person would do something like that if your car's stuck. He's drifting in and out of consciousness, but he says that around 11.30 p.m. he saw headlights trailing up the road behind him. So he pulls himself up on the seat and he said he heard strange whistling noises and that he saw several men standing together in the glare of the headlights, along with what he thought was a woman holding a baby. Well, this is so weird. This is like Snow White and the Seven Tards. This is like, <laughs> <laughs> this is like something Agent Mulder no, would mean, be but this, into. Yeah, this is some X-Files shit going on totally. here. Totally. <laughs> some X-Tard. <laughs> Joseph makes it out of his car, and so he starts calling to them for help, but the group immediately stops talking. The headlights go out. So he makes his way back to his Bundy mobile, and he's going to lie back down. So again, he's lapsing in and out of unconsciousness, but he estimates that around two hours later, he saw flashlight beams at his window. So he calls out for help, and again, no one responds, and he doesn't see the lights again. He also thought he heard a pickup truck arrive and tow the car, but he's so delirious with pain. It's kind of like you don't know what to believe. Yeah, I don't think this guy's a reliable witness. He's not. I'm throwing out his testimony. But not even a heart attack can keep Jojo down. By the next morning, he feels a bit better. Besides, his car had also run out of gas. So he no longer was, it was not, you know, giving out any heat. So he has no choice but to walk the eight miles down the mountain to a lodge he knew to request some help. On his way, he passes the abandoned Spedmobile and he instantly recognizes it as where he heard voices and had seen the headlights the, in the night previously. He noticed that the car was also abandoned, meaning that no tow truck had like, arrived to pick it up. So this pickup truck they thought it, that, that had showed up in addition to the Spedmobile. He's hallucinating. He had managed that. All right. yeah. He had managed that. That did not happen. 
There are many varying accounts of his story. Obviously, there are a lot of factors at play, like you said. Like you said, he's an unreliable witness, including the fact he really did actually have a heart attack. <laughs> he later said, I was half conscious, not lucid, hallucinating, and in deep pain. Wherever I half saw or half imagined the second vehicle, I just don't know. And the second vehicle he means in regards to the pickup truck. Anonymous woman also reported seeing five men in a red pickup truck on Saturday and Sunday, about an hour away from the abandoned car. So she's the owner of a store in Brownsville. And two of the men came in to buy some food. One made a phone call from a nearby phone booth for about 15 minutes. And the other two men just sat and waited in the truck. Wait, so she she did see a red pickup truck and there are five men, but are these the Yuba five? She identifies the one who used the phone as uh, Jackie, but we know that Jackie couldn't use the phone, right? Ted or his brother would make phone calls for him. So it's weird that she's going to pick the one out of these five guys who Mm. cannot use the phone. So Carol Waltz, who's the owner of the store, Carol as in male Carol. So I love the fact this unidentified woman, it's like, please, we all know it's your wife, Carol. It has to be your wife. Why? Who else is working the late shift with you? Also confirmed that he saw several of the men on February the 25th, the day after the game, and on Sunday, February the 26th. So the task force checks out a cabin in the woods near Forbstown after a forest ranger had noticed a red pickup truck parked outside that matched the description as seen by the witnesses in Brownsville. But by the time the police rolled up, the truck had gone, and the cabin looked like it had just recently been occupied. Weird, right? But the investigators and the families, they now play the waiting game as they're waiting for spring to arrive and for the snow to melt because all evidence is underneath it. Jack's, this is when things start to get kind of like ballsy and kind of cool in this story. So Jack's 23-year-old niece, um, Kathy, she's not the type to sit around and wait. She thought the men were being held against their will in a cabin in Forbstown. See, I kind of, I was actually suspecting that. I was thinking sex traffickers. Why? why? (laughs) I'm just saying, I don't know. People have a fetish for everything. So I'm just thinking there might be sex traffickers. This is the 70s, though. It's like the height of the serial killer. I would just be like, they're dead. Like, they're so so easy. Or some crazy hippie cult, especially up there in that area. Possibly. She also knew that Gary had dodgy, druggy friends in the town. So maybe the gang had decided to take a detour to go visit their friend, like Gary's friends on the way home, which might explain how they had wandered so far off like their path. The area was also notorious for drug dealers, with homes being booby-trapped, rigged with alarm systems, and armed inhabitants. So maybe Gary had had like a slip, you know, he's a former drug addict, he's got a craving, and he's convinced his friends, you know, his friends have like the IQs of golden retrievers, and he's the Rottweiler, so he can control them. And he's like, we're gonna go here, we're gonna see my mates, but then we'll just go home, okay, lads, it'll be fine. There are a lot of shady individuals out there, though. I mean, this is kind of near Humboldt County, the Emerald Triangle. I was about to mention that. Yeah, which yeah. Is, there's a lot of shady people, especially back then when people were, had underground you know, drug operations. Right. So Kathy, with her brother George and her best friend Anne, and I must say Anne is a very good friend to do this because I'd be like, hell no. She notifies the sheriff to come looking for them if they didn't return in two hours and they head for Forbes Town and they go down the back roads where she knew Gary's friends lived. She said that as she drove down, she saw men with rifles and shotguns hiding out in the woods and she could just hear a little banjo coming from deep inside too. 
She drove, they drive up to the property, right? Which had three or four sheds behind it. One had been boarded up and Kathy told George to keep the car running and that her and Anne would approach the trailer and knock. Again, Anne, you are such a good friend. Inside, uh, they could hear a baby crying, but no one answered their first knock. But by the second time they knocked, they noticed that a small girl was moving in the trees behind the trailer. So Kathy's looking around, she's gazing at the sheds and like one of them particularly stands out to her and it gives her like kind of wicked eerie vibes, man. It's a shabby looking wooden shed with a metal roof overgrown with weeds and it had been bolted and padlocked shut, whereas the other sheds weren't padlocked shut. And this is some weird hills have eyes type shit. Fuck yeah, Kathy's yeah. brave as shit, man. So she freaks out. She's completely convinced that Gary's locked inside and she runs over. She's calling Gary's names. She's kicking the door um, of like the padlock until her foot begins to hurt. She's trying to break inside. So her and Anne rushed to another shed to see if there was anything inside that one so that they could break into the locked shed. But it was in that moment that she heard George yelling at them to get back into the car. So they start spring- sprinting back to the car and they see a weathered-looking man standing outside the driver's door. I would be bricking it, right? Well, they call it Murder Mountain for a reason. Oh, really? That's in that area in Humboldt oh, County. Shit. Yeah, Murder Mountain, because people always die there. People go missing. So it must go back Murder Mountain for yeah, generations. To, this is the, to the 60s and 70s. Wow. So this guy had his left hand on the driver's side mirror, and his right hand was wrapped around a Remington 870 shotgun. The girls, they climb inside the car, but Kathy was so sure that Gary was inside the shed and she tells the old timer who had politely asked them to get off his property. Uh, Gary Mathis, Mathias is in that shed and I'm not leaving until I get him out. So the hobo homeowner responds with just a pump of his shotgun. That would probably convince me to leave. See you later. <laughs> Bye. Peace out. <laughs> Bye, bro. They returned home defeated. Kathy calls the detectives and she tells them everything that had happened. They say they went and performed their own search on horseback where nothing was found. Sure. Yeah. Kathy says she immediately knows that this was a lie because the whole area surrounding the trailer was filled with booby traps and a horse would easily have become ensnared or like could have died. Law enforcement told her that they had contacted Gary's friends in Forbstown. But they said that they hadn't seen him in over a year. But, like, obviously they're going to lie. She loses all faith in the investigation at this point, And she knows that she can't rely on them to find her missing uncle and his friends. But you could say that her suspicions might have been a premonition at that point. I mean, possibly. She's definitely passionate about it. Oh, yeah. All I mean, the families She's a good were. niece. Yeah. She is. In June of 78, a man riding his motorcycle on a very beautiful summer's day, he noticed a broken window on a forest service trailer. The trailer's around 11 miles up the mountain from where the car had been abandoned. At that time in February, this would have been covered in deep snow. But on the 23rd, a forest service snow cart had run up the road straight to the trailer. So it leaves a direct and kind of clear path, like one that you could walk. The snow is still around three to six foot deep. But all the kids, uh, boys, men, had been wearing sneakers and it was at night. So there are things you kind of have to keep in consideration. How long after the disappearance was this? I will tell you. Okay. So inside the trailer, they find the body. And the body is going to be that of Teddy. Oh, they found Teddy. The day after they found the remains of Doc and Bill Sterling, they're on opposite sides of the ro- road to the trailer. Doc had been partially eaten by animals and he had been dragged about 10 foot uh, to a stream. He lay face up with his right hand curled around his watch on his left wrist. 
Bill's skeletal remains, they're scattered over about 50 feet in a wooden area, wooded area. So he's, you know, animals are here. They're having a good time. Two days after this, um, Jackie's father actually found his son. He's just off the same road, but he's much closer to the trailer. So he finds his backbone, a ripped pair of Levi's and his ripped sold get theirs shoes, which I love that little detail. It, it, I get I, their shoes. I haven't even heard of that. They're very 70s. I, like, I went on eBay looking for them afterwards as well. Very expensive. They also found his skull the next day. He's a, it's 100 yards downhill, the skull. And his family dentist matches the remains. I, I don't get this. Like, Was he attacked by a bear? No, there's probably just like all types of scavenging animals. A predator? Like how, how was his backbone removed? It's, a, it's like a fox could remove your backbone, yeah, mate. A, a, a badger could do it. Rip a, a fucking backbone out of a human body? Fuck it. Well, yeah, well, you got to... A gotta bear f- could do it. You got to think the weather's warm. Decomposition sets in how, instantly. But how long after the disappearance was this? I don't want to tell you because you, you need to wait to hear this. All right, Because right. you're going to be shocked. It's suspense. Jackie, Bill, and Doc... They're all northeast of the trailer, but northwest, around a quarter of a mile away, searchers found three wool forest service blankets and a two-cell flashlight that are laying by the side of the road. The flashlight had slightly rusted and it had been turned off. Investigators found Gary's shoes inside the trailer, which could make sense, right? He might have swapped shoes with Teddy because Teddy had bigger feet and Gary might have had frostbite on his feet. They did not find Gary's remains, but we're going to get into that later. So put that in your little back pocket for now. All the bodies heavily decomposed and the autopsy results determined that they had likely died from exposure because they had survived in the trailer for an unforeseen amount of time. Longer than probably you could last, city boy out there. <laughs> I, I agree with that. So Teddy was 5 foot 11 and 200 pounds, which is 14 stone for the metric crew. You know, he's a little overweight. It's a big guy. Yeah. That's when he went missing. But when he was found, he had lost around 80 to 100 pounds. He lost half his body weight. He had beard growth and they figured that he had been living in the trailer anywhere from 8 to 13 weeks. Wow, 13 weeks to lose 100 pounds. Yeah. Is that the kind of diet you diet. I'm just saying this guy should have like put a book together, maybe a podcast. Oh my God. It's called Into the Wild, starring me, Teddy. (laughs) He had also lost five toes to frostbite. He'd, his feet had actually become gangrenous and he wouldn't have been able to walk or get out of bed, meaning that the other men would have had to provide for him. When they found his two-week-old remains, he had been wrapped tightly up in blankets and there's no way that he could have done that for himself. The table by his bed, it held his nickel ring that had Ted engraved on it. It had his gold necklace, his wallet, which did have cash inside, and a gold watch that did not belong to any of the men. But this was like a Forest Park trailer. So I imagine like, you know, if a forest ranger's doing their job and they find a watch, they would bring items back here. I love how this Rotundo has bling. I know, I like it too. (laughs) He's all like pimped out. He's got his gold necklace, his wallet. Did he have a gold wallet too? I wish men still dressed like they did in the 70s. I miss it. Yeah. My favorite my favorite era of style. Definitely. All that polyester. I mean, if you're just in a fire, you're just going to be set alight like a bomb. It's <laughs> a risk I'm willing to take. Inside the trailer, there was also heavy clothing, matches, playing cards, books, wooden furniture, and all sorts of materials that could have been used to start a fire. But there was no evidence of any attempt at building or making a fire. Well, that makes sense. I mean, the guy couldn't even operate a dishwasher. 
again, two of them who've been in the <laughs> army most definitely yeah, knew how not, to make a fire. I don't think they were the, the, the you know, the highest ranking soldiers, put it that way. Yeah, but you get taught how to make a fucking fire in the army. Maybe, if you can learn. There was also, they can drive. There was also a propane tank which next to the I trailer. I questionable. <laughs> which had provided warmth. But they also hadn't touched this. So why didn't they start a fire? Were they actually in the trailer long enough to start a fire? Or were they too scared to start a fire? They're rotundos. They don't know how to use the equipment to start the fire. No, because maybe somebody who said, we're watching you. And if they send smoke out, we'll see the smoke. We'll With come the and get sex you. traffickers? The sex traffickers, yes. Okay. The famous 70s sex traffickers. <laughs> that, that could happen. I'm thinking it's a deranged hippie cult. That's the, uh, the film that I now. would go with. If I in was going to make a film about this, deranged hippie cult. Kind of like Mandy. Because they live yeah, out in the woods. Like Mandy. Right. Yeah, exactly. So in another storage set, shed outside was a year's supply of sea rations. So anyone who watches Steve 1989 knows what a sea ration is. And if you don't, you should be watching Steve 1989. Nice. Let's get this out on a tray. So they had eaten three cases, which is 12 individual meals inside of each one. So this is about 36 meals. Uh, so that shows that they were rationing. They knew how to ration. And they were also opening you, them using the Army P-38 can opener. And it's also important to note here, Dee, that there is a knack to using this type of can opener. And probably Gary or Doc would have been the ones who would have had to do it. Okay, so they know how to use a can opener, but they can't start a fire? Again, Maybe they weren't at the trailer for this full amount of time. Maybe they were only in the trailer. For, maybe they were dropped here. We don't know what's going on. But they had 36 meals. You'd think you'd well, have maybe time they to start rationing. a fire. Maybe they got there and they were like, fuck it, we're so hungry. Just we're going to eat these. Yeah. So we know that Gary's shoes were found inside the trailer. But there's actually no evidence that Doc was ever inside the trailer with them. There was also a huge cache of freeze-dried meals that they hadn't, they hadn't really touched these either. So everyone assumes that the men died of hypothermia or starvation. But in the book Out of Bounds, What Happened to the Uber County Five by Drew Hurst Beeson, he puts forward another more likely theory. Yeah, they're all obviously going to be cold and hungry. But on the autopsy on Ted's body, it actually states that he died of pulmonary edema. Edema? Edema. Edema, right. Let's go. That sounds better. This is similar to pneumonia. So your lungs and your surrounding tissue, they slowly fill with liquid until you can no longer breathe. And it puts a lot of stress on your heart until your heart basically gives up. Basically, without oxygen, he's got blood poisoning from the gangrene that's setting in. Ted is destined to die unless he goes to a hospital and fast. Maybe they all sat in the trailer as Teddy's condition worsened until they felt no choice, but they had to head out in the wilderness to seek help. So maybe they sat with him, watching him progressively die every day until he did die. And then that was their point to be like, we have to leave at this moment. I just don't understand why one person didn't try to, to leave and try to find another cabin, go get help. Wasn't there any kind of equipment in there to communicate with, like a radio or a Probably CB not. or something? Because I don't, I think if there it's had a been a radio. Station. Yeah, but just because it's a ranger's trailer, it's not a station, it's a trailer. It's like where a forest ranger will drop shit off. It doesn't I'm necessarily I'm really surprised mean. there wouldn't be a CB radio in there. Maybe they don't know how to work a CB ranger well, because obviously. they're all golden retrievers, <laughs> right? 
Doc's nephew, Jack, who was 18 when he disappeared, said in this book, these men were murdered by being forced or coerced to march their ultimate demise from the elements. No way would Jack, uh, Doc Magruder, abandon his vehicle on the side of a mountain road without being forced or coerced to do so. Law enforcement did work the case, but I can't help but feel more could have been done. Just some mentally challenged boys that got lost in the snow, I believe, was their final conclusion. Newspapers also went with this angle. Uh, this angle. They had lurid subheadlines such as "How and Why of Retarded Victims' Disappearance" <laughs> seems inexplicable. Back then, you could you use can't. the R word. Yeah, now we're saying it. We're going to get lots of angry emails. Yeah. Bill's sister Debbie. She even came forward stating that once Doc had taken Jackie home because the weather was too bad to be driving that night, and she said Bill didn't like the snow. They knew that it would be cold up there. So over the years, many theories have been put forth by the general public and other information is uncovered. Almost three years before the men went missing, an arsonist broke into the Gateway Project's workshop and they burned it to the ground on February the 18th, 1975. Everything was destroyed. Damages came to about 150,000. You know, that guy's going straight to hell. Like, why would you burn Burn. down like a, a, you know, a, a... a work, you know, it's like a, a facility for like disabled people. So I, I kind of casually read into this at the time. There was like the disability like movement, which is ironic to call it that. It was coming to the forefront, like the focal point where it's like disabled people should have rights. And there were a lot of people being like, hell no. <laughs> no, they shouldn't. <laughs> it's kind of like Japan. It's like, no, just keep them away. We don't want to see them. I guess. I don't know if I'd want to die on that hill. No. A few days later, a Molotov cocktail was thrown through the window of the main office. This leaves only minor damage. No suspect is found. But since that January, seven other workshops for the handicapped were set on fire. Who's against these workshops for the handicapped? That's what I don't understand. Like, what an asshole. Exactly. (laughs) Near the end of March, the gateway director, Donald J. Garrett, he said that he felt the incidents were connected no shit done and a month later on april the 6th just after 8 p.m he's relaxing you know he's got one of those like um leisure suits on leisure suits he's on a shag rug in his own apartment someone knocks at the door he opens it and someone throws flammable liquid into his face they then light a match they throw it at him setting him aflame and he dies before the police could even get there it's fucking gnarly man yeah, I just don't understand why the, the animosity towards this gateway project. It's like, I actually think they're kind of doing a, you know, a mitzvah. They're doing a good deed here. I know, but again, it's because a lot of people didn't want the disabled to have rights. <sighs> the next director is a man called Donald Larson. He's at a pool party when someone spots smoke coming from the driveway around 9.15 p.m. Two cars had been firebombed. So the Sutter County DA, Ted Hansen, he asked the police to kind of keep the arsenic tax quiet out of a necessity to protect lives and costs the gateway center had already been relocated due to the like the destruction of the last building and he's trying to build a case on july the 7th an anonymous person rings the gateway offices and threatens that hansen and another staff member are going to be the next victims that night Ted Hansen's car not ted danson ted hansen's car it's firebombed and the next day Ted's kicked out of his apartment because everyone was afraid to live in the same building as him. Shit week for Ted. Yeah, that's, that's, that's tough. So then there's Gary, right? Like I was telling you before. His remains 
or any evidence of his remains, even his Coke bottle glasses, have never been found. In the sheriff's investigation, it came to light on the Yuba County 5 podcast by Mopac Audio. The police noted that Gary was believed to be a victim of foul play. The case remains open as a missing person homicide case. But maybe Gary is still out there. Wait, wait, is Gary the one that's in the band? Yeah, Gary's the sexy one with schizophrenia. I thought they found his, like, sh- shoes. He, they, they found his shoes, but he, they reckon he swapped shoes with Ted because uh, he might have had frostbite too and Ted had bigger feet. So it would have given, like, his feet more room. All right, this is interesting. Do you think Gary joined the deranged cult? Totally. He went in there and he had that wasp sting him on the neck and then he didn't laugh at the director's dick. He just, like... He took my, took all of Manos into him. So we were talking about Kathy before, badass fucking Kathy. Uh, she's Doc's sister, went out to find the men. She eventually gets a job at the forestry service. And one night after a shift, she stops in at a parent's bar for dinner on the way home. So the bar's packed, but on the third stool down from the bathroom was a man looking right at her. Her stomach drops and she recognizes the man as Gary. She runs to the kitchen to tell her parents and to phone the police, but by the time she makes her way back into the bar, Gary, or the man she thought was Gary, was long gone. The next day, she identifies him in a photo lineup. To this day, she still believes that she saw him. So Gary has a sister named Tammy, and he also has a niece named Tammy, in case anyone wants to write in and say that this story didn't happen. This This is Gary's sister, Tammy. She also said that she'd seen her brother long after he had disappeared. So she's a nurse. She's working night shift and she's just doing her nightly rounds. One of her patients was a guy with an arm in a sling and he looked and sounded a lot like Gary. His chart said that his name was Gary Anderson and that he had been in a car accident. The man denied being her brother and she went home, but she just totally couldn't stop thinking about it. So the next night at work, an older man a man who could have possibly been his father or possibly somebody else had checked out Gary Anderson. So she's still like, it could have been wishful thinking, but she was just convinced in that moment that it was Gary. But things like that happen when you're in grief. I don't believe that Gary was a mastermind of murder. I believe that he too died in those woods. And the family do as well. On February the 24th, 2008, on the 30th anniversary of Gary's disappearance, his family, uh, they ran an obituary in the, Mary, uh, the Marysville Appeal Democrat. And it says, Gary uh, Mathias, Mathias, October the 15th, 1952 to February the 24th, 1978. It reads, part of us yet parted from us, managing grief that becomes us, departed in body, eternal in thought, Birthday gifts no longer bought. Gone to heaven far above us. Parted from us forever far from us. Love always. So they they know he's dead. And he's well, not coming back. Obviously they're willing to accept that now. I mean, so it's long. It's so long. 30 years yeah. it is. But on the one year anniversary, the families of the men wrote an open letter to the Mid-Valley Voices. So in part reads... Please don't stop looking or let time dim your stories of the men who lived in the midst the majority of their lives. A lot of questions have never been answered and they never will be. Why were they in the area where they were found? Was someone chasing them? Who was in the pickup scene parked behind the car? Why did they leave the car and wander off into the snow when they could have easily driven back down the same road that they drove in on? They each had some problems, but stupidity is not one of them. 
questions. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I think there's some wiggle room there. Some... I think you can have a lack of common sense, but you, you don't have to be dumb. All right. Forrest well. Gump, no common sense, not dumb. I am a smart man, Jenny. Simpleton. (laughs) The questions, but no answers. Bitterness, some anger, sometimes bewilderment, always. And they ended the letter saying, when your son leaves home with friends to go to a basketball game, do you always put your arms around him, give him a kiss and remind him how much you love him? You really should. He may never come back to you. And they never have. Why? What are you smirking at? I think that's very touching. I guess. I got a lot of this cool... There's a lot more information, especially about the aliens, uh, the aliens that might have taken these boys on humanexception.com. Um, is a great article uh, that like kind of ties it all together. I mean, there's a lot of gray area there. It's like, I don't think these guys would willingly exit their vehicle. No, I think somebody forced them out of their car to do something nefarious with them. And I certainly don't think that they were in that trailer for eight to 13 weeks. Well, I wonder if they were forced to be in that trailer. I think they were not allowed to leave. I think when Ted was in a bad way and I think when it looked like Teddy was dying, they were all taken to that trailer. And that's why they kind of scatter and leave Ted towards the end. Because if it had been me and we're like, oh, we're going to be here. It's kind of like an alive situation, isn't it? At least it's hot. We've got some cover. We could sit in here. But I think they were taken there told we're watching you. Don't do anything, and if you leave, we'll kill you. I like the theory that Gary oh is this kind of like Rotundo Kaiser Soze. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I think that's the thing. I think he's the leader of this deranged, ableist cult that doesn't like disabled people, doesn't want them to get rights. And so I think what he did... With Don. Well, maybe with Don, but mm-hmm. I think Gary was just sick of his crew of... Uh, you know, with uh, Rotundo salting his game. I mean, he's in a band. He wants to move on. He wants to go get some ass. You know, he wants to go do blow with uh, all the sexy 70s chicks. And here he is, you know, weighed down by this crew, this crew of Rotundos. No, I think Gary liked having friends. I, th- I think Gary wanted a new circle of friends. So I think he, what he did is he pretended to be a part of their dream team, went on a went on this like uh, journey with them, but meanwhile sold them out to the Abus cult. I think you're uh, absolutely taking the piss. <laughs> I mean, Gary I don't know. I d- also died there, and I feel sad for Gary's. Where's Gary's remains? This is what I feel sad for, is because I think there's nothing worse than when somebody disappears and you never find a body, because it must be like being in limbo forever and ever. I mean, they the far of a four of the families can at least have some form of closure yeah you're gonna have questions about what the fuck were they doing but at least you kind of know that they all died together they were near each other even in their last moments they would have had someone so it's but i reckon it's like, very mysterious i think do they have bears in missouri is this, they've definitely got no, it's not missouri this is california I mean, they, oh, do sorry. Have, they do have brown bears up, or black bears and brown bears up there yeah. so i mean a bear could rip out someone's backbone and a bear probably took gary and was like fuck yeah this is Imagine a bear and you stumble across this scene and there's like, I don't know. A gaggle of rotundos. <laughs> a gaggle of silly geeses. And you are, it's the summer. You're a Kodiak. You're fucking huge. You're hungry. You could just be like, swipe one, swipe two, swipe three, swipe four. And then before you know it, like you're just like shagging another female bear. Greatest summer ever. I think my theory is much more plausible. Gary is the leader of this deranged ableist cult. No, mine is that a bear Rotundo did it. Rotundo Kaiser Soze. A bear did it. Greatest summer ever for the bear. 
Well, one thing is one thing definitely is true between these two stories. This one's a lot more, at least a lot more interesting. It's like the, the one in Missouri. It's like these two, three guys did a bunch of fentanyl and passed out in the backyard and died. Yeah. But th- I mean, that's still mysterious. Still mysterious. Yeah. So we'll have to wait and see what happens it there. It was a long People, this is episode 931 here, Sick and Wrong. Got some phone calls coming up next, 323-522-4032. But first, here's a quick Valentine's Day message from Adam and Eve. You can make this Valentine's Day one that you'll both never forget with this amazing offer from adamandeve.com. Through Valentine's Day, you'll receive 50% off just about any item. Just go to adamandeve.com and you'll find over 18,000 adult entertainment products, including toys, lingerie, and a seemingly endless selection of adult DVDs. And there's more. With every order, you'll receive our romance kit free. Our romance kit includes a toy for him, a special massager for her, and a little something we know you'll both enjoy. Plus a free adult DVD to put you in the mood. And that's not all. Oh, no. We'll also throw in free shipping on your entire order. So check out adamandeve.com today for this special Valentine's offer. Get 50% off one item, a free romance kit, and free shipping when you enter offer code DIDDLE. D-I-D-D-L-E. That's DIDDLE at adamandeve.com. got a couple phone calls to get to here 323-522-4032 is that number uh the first call we have is from uh remember christian slater oh yeah he calls back dk what's up it's christian again sorry about the late reply just wanted to send another message and clarify something clarify yes i am something. in the army but my mos isn't combat related i'm not in the infantry or anything similar to that I'm actually involved in SATCOM. I work oh, with wow. transportable terminals or antennas. SATCOM. He's a PSYOP. What's SATCOM? Like the internet? I, th- I think it's communication. Antennas? Yeah. Oh, what? So does he go up on the roofs and put the antennas on? It's a pretty cool job. Sounds like it. Let's see. ...hub nodes, which are large antennas that send radio frequencies up to satellites, part of the wideband global constellation of satellites that relay those radio frequencies back down to the terminals on the ground. Is he allowed to tell us this? So he controls satellites. Dude, why aren't you, like, controlling the dissemination of Sick and Wrong Podcast? Yeah, go on. (laughs) Let's just hijack one of those satellites. It'll be like pump up the volume or something. And, And to answer your question, yeah, actually, I was sent to both of those places. First to the Middle East, but... Not Iran, nor Iraq, or Syria, or anything like that. I was yeah. actually just sent to Kuwait. Oh. I spent a year there. We went to Kuwait. Kuwait, that wouldn't be that bad. Like, I wouldn't mind being like, if I had to go to the Middle East, I don't want to go to Iran or Iraq or Yemen. I'm not going to the fucking Middle East. No, but if you're what in am the I going army, to the Middle East for? But if you're in the army, you're going to, it's not really your choice. But if I was to be sent there, I'd rather go to like Kuwait or Dubai or something. I love that five minutes of panic I had when I turned 29. I was like, shit, I don't have a vocation. I'm just in a stupid fucking punk band. I need to do something in my life. And I was like, fuck it. I'll, I'll just, I'll join the army. I'll become, a, I'll become an army photographer. I'll become a photographer in the army. And then I looked it up and it was like, you are too old. And I was like, oh, fuck. Yeah, I was about to say, Thank aren't you, you too old at 29? <laughs> yeah, I was. <laughs> well, it's not as dangerous as the previously mentioned sites. 
is still considered a semi-hostile environment. And I'm actually glad I left when I did because according to one of my buddies, a missile landed near the base oh, and now they're all wearing tactical vests. So, man, it sucks. It's dangerous. And I was sent um, on temporary duty for six months to launch to Germany. And the craziest thing that happened there was that I blew 300 euros in a strip club. So Nice. Not very interesting. I'm in call- On what, though? That's what I want to know. Was it just one girl or was it three girls? He's also aging himself because he said 300 euros and he didn't say Deutschmarks, right? Oh, yeah. So it must have been so relatively recent. I don't know. So, of course, stateside, it's not so bad, except for the field training exercises. You know, the last week I had to sleep outside in a tent while it was cold. And that was fucking miserable. But yeah, that's pretty much it. So again, my MOS isn't combat related. Uh, might get deployed again. Who knows? People here in this particular base, they do get deployed often. So who knows what might happen in the future? And if anything does happen, I'll let you guys know. Sorry, I didn't have any interesting stories to impart to you, or at least not the kind that you expected. But no, keep it sick. Keep it raw. He has a great Later. voice. Oh, he sounds just like Christian Slater. You know, I wouldn't mind if if I had to be like trapped in some trailer in the middle of the woods. I'd want a guy like this around because this dude would know how to like this guy would know how to start a fire. He'd know how to like hook up well, a propane tank. I still feel a bit retarded about what he does. So he's like, so imagine it's an army film. Or it's a war film. So he's the guy who'd be sat at like the, the radar screen that's going bloop, bloop, bloop. And then the Sarge comes behind him and he's like, God damn it, Lieutenant. I want that satellite over to the eastern point of the sky. And he's like, I'm working on it, Sarge. I'm working. That's him. I that's think, him. I think he would be, I don't know if he'd be the operator of like the satellite controller system or whatever. I think what he would be doing is going up on the roof and setting up the antenna and the communication equipment. I think that's what he does. So it's th- it's that like basic. No, that, it's got to be pretty complex. Imagine he must be trained to do this. I just kind of imagine he'd go out there with like a fold out chair. He would put the antenna up, and then you know he'd break out like a little mai tai as he sits in the fold out chair. And then down down in the bunker, everyone's going fucking crazy, and he's like, "Satellites working, Sarge." <laughs> I'm just here. Maybe, I mean, maybe there's like enemy fire that that could happen. But I'm thinking this is pretty, like a rather specialized career. It is super specialized. In the army, so, I mean, I I wonder if like, could you go work for like a, I don't know, like a a cellular phone company, like setting up like, you know, setting up their, like AT&T and setting up their communication systems? Doesn't everyone need like antennas? I don't know. Do, couldn't he go work for fucking NASA? Well, he must still be in the army because that's why I know, he might but I mean still afterwards. get deployed. But yeah, yeah, maybe with a you know with the, the those set of skills and that background, I imagine that's that's transferable. Maybe he just loves the army though. Do you love the army, Christian Slater? Or are you just like I'm a lifer in this? This is fun for me. I wonder. I wonder if he has any like army tattoos. Oh, Christian Slater, do you watch Steve, nineteen eighty nine? Please let me know. Thank you. I thought it was Steve MRE. No, I call him Steve MRE because it makes sense. But his actual tag is Steve uh, 1989. When he signs right. out, he's like, this has been Steve 1989. All right. Nice. See ya.
That's what well, he does. Thank you, Christian Slater. Good to hear from you. We've got another call here from uh, Siege nice. over in British Columbia. It's Siege here, uh, just calling in because I was listening to the uh, first part of the holiday show uh, toward the end where you guys are uh, talking about mishaps involving scooters, and it inspired me to call in with a scooter story of my own. Uh, now, this would have been about 15 years ago now, and me and uh, a couple of buddies. Wait a second. They probably didn't have, like, rideshare scooters back then. Maybe they did. Now, I'm thinking Siege had a, an actual scooter that he bought and cruised around on. Or maybe his mates did. Can you remember remember the the band Scooter? The, da- the fucking band Scooter. Oh, God, what was their song? Scooter? It's going to come back and get me. Uh, it's a terrible name. For, were they an indie rock band? Fuck no. They were like uh, a pop, proper pop, pop fucking band. Uh, they were a club hit that whole fucking summer. It'll come Never to me in a minute. But the person who brought Scooter to Europe because he had seen them in a fucking tiny little club, I think somewhere in Germany, and the whole crowd was eating it up. And because he could make some dollar off it, as he did make a dollar and is in fact close to being a billionaire, was Mr. Jimmy Pop. Oh, God. <laughs> Do you have Random to bring facts. up the Bloodhound? It's either Bloodhound Gang or Jim Jones. We should, oh, like, yeah. marry the two. Jim, so, wait, are you that. saying Jimmy Pop created scooters? He did not create them, but he saw them in, like, fucking Hamburg or somewhere. And the crowd, were like, everyone in the crowd was going insane for Scooter. And he, he had a label at the time because he also had signed him. Wait, so, he discovered he the band CKY. Scooter. He didn't discover them, but he was like, oh, I'm going to release your records. I'm going to make a fucking ton of money. I don't care what type of music I've never even heard of this band, so obviously you not too successful. You have to be successful. European, man. Everyone in Europe yeah, but they're knows they're obviously the not too successful. Well, it, yeah. Oh, what? Because America's the whole fucking world. Oh, wait, maybe no one remembers them. I'd like to know how many people out there know the band Scooter. Right. I want everyone in Britain to, be, to come and sing name, a song Name a song you. by Scooter. That's I what I'd like to know. Um, Lost my train of thought here. Oh, yeah. Good. Now I remember. So... <laughs> I wonder if Siege isn't referring to like the Lime and the Bird scooters that you can get now. And if he's actually referring to those, remember those Razor scooters that people used to cruise oh, around on? Oh, like the Push scooters. Well, they were like, yeah, they weren't motorized. They were just kind of like these scooters that people used to. I remember when I worked at uh, the online publishing company, there's this developer guy who looked like, he looked like he wasn't, he just did not age. Like one of those like permanently young looking guys. Like you. No, I mean, this guy looked like he was like 15 and he must have been 35. He just looked like, I bet you he still gets carded by That's like my friend Egghead. Oh, just by a, the way. A very young person. Anyway, he used to just cruise to work on his little scooter and would sometimes like cruise through the office to his cubicle on his scooter. He also would take his shoes off and we called him Sock Monkey because he'd walk around in his socks even in the bathroom. That is fucking gross. Right. Fucking vile. I think it's fine if you're at your desk and you take your shoes off and you you can do Still that. Gross. I mean, fuck it. It's your desk. Whatever. As long as nobody can see you doing that, it's fine. Right? Get away with it. Walking to the walking about with no shoes on is already fucking iffy. Taking a piss at the disgusting urinal, in like your socks in your socks, is gross. Fucking gross. Yeah, by we, the way, Scooter covered the logical song by Supertramp, and that's how everyone will know them. Thank you. I'm gonna so force wait, you to their listen to only this. song oh, that no, they're they famous tons, for is a cover. Probably not done nearly as well as Supertramp. Of course, it's not done, but it was a fucking smash hit, and Jimmy Pop has made a lot of money. All right. Good for him. Good for him. 
out to the bar for uh, for karaoke. And we originally, uh, this bar was very far from our house. And so we had originally planned a cab home, but lo and behold, we blew all of our money on booze and food while we were there. So we were too broke. Awesome. And it would have been about a like three plus hour walk from the pub to get back to our place. So not knowing what to do, uh, one of us gets the idea. Uh, now in this pub, in like the front entryway, there was like a room off to the side where you could like store like bikes and things like that because uh, i live in a place where there are a lot of cyclists and uh there were a couple of bikes in there a couple sets of rollerblades and one of those stupid like mini scooters i we get the idea to uh steal some of these as a means of transport aren't they locked up they're just kind of sitting in the bed do people just trust each other in this canadian town You've answered your own question because it's Canada, <laughs> and yes, that would never happen here. Well, I, this was also like what fifteen years ago. The world was a different. Still, place would never have happened here ago. fifteen years ago. I love him. I love being that kind of young and reckless, though, where you you only have a certain amount of money, you and your mates, but you're just like, fuck it, fuck it. Let's go steal some scooters. Well, you know, you're like, we're gonna drink it, we're gonna eat some fucking poutine. No one knows how we're getting home. Yeah, and then when the time it comes to get home, you're like, shit, reckless. <laughs> to get home. <laughs> Now, we're all drunk off of our ass. Uh, one buddy takes one of the bikes. Uh, I, Another buddy takes the rollerblades because he <laughs> think, he's drunk and thinks this is a great idea. And I go with the scooter because I've never been particularly great at riding bikes and I've never been on rollerblades in my life. Same. So it seemed like the wisest option. Uh, we 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 set out, so we steal these things, and we, we set out on our way home. All of us crashed numerous times on the way. Uh, I, like, rolled over into a ditch a couple of times. Uh, my buddy on uh, his bike, like, crashed several times. Roller skate, rollerblade guy crashed. We were all completely banged up by the end. Uh, after the last time, I went into a ditch, because it happened multiple times. I uh, I don't really remember a lot about that, but I remember waking up the next day uh, on my living room floor, naked, just covered in cuts and bruises and scrapes. But um, I checked my phone, and I have a my my flip phone, so that tells you how long ago it was. I have a voicemail from the buddy who was riding the the bike, and he's like, "Man, you're not going to believe what happened." So. I, uh, I I woke up and uh, look up and see my ceiling and, you know, I, I blacked out, so didn't really know what was going on. And I look around my room and it's it's my room, but like everything's different. And then it occurred to me like, holy fuck, I just broke into my old place that I lived in and <laughs> passed out in my old bedroom. <laughs> so he got the fuck out of there. And amazingly didn't get caught. Uh, nothing too exciting happened with the rollerblade guy. But um, yeah, anyway, that's my that's my scooter, drunken scooter story. Keep it safe. Keep it wrong. Bye-bye. You know, I've had several friends who have done that. I feel it's a boy thing. It's like boys will wake up in the middle of the night and go and piss in the, the closet or the wardrobe thinking it's the toilet. Whereas I've never known a girl who would do that? Like maybe a girl will piss oh, the bed. I've known, I've known a couple girls that have pissed the bed. Well, that talks about the company you keep, David. 
But, you know, I first of all, I can relate to drunken bike rides. I've never really, well, I have drunken scooter rides, obviously. But I remember in college, you can ask Wackily about this one. We used to just ride bikes in the summer because it was so, I mean, it was, the weather's great in Michigan in the summer. And we just ride, get fucking loaded, go to bars and just ride our bikes around. All of us crashed all the time. And I mean, is that it, why your brain is the way it is now? My face <laughs> is the way it is now. But yeah, we all used to have like I think Wackley had stitches like above his uh, above his eye where he hit a side like hit the curb. We all we all like fu- got fucked up during that. But I never once broke into a house I previously lived in. But I've known several several people. One of these guys, I don't want to say his last name. His first name is Ryan. Um, he was so drunk, this is in Bay City, Michigan, that he went to his previous house he lived in. I lived in with a bunch of dudes, broke into the house, and went, got in bed with a little girl. For fun? No, she was sleeping in bed. He thought it was his bed, and he just got in bed that a, a little girl was sleeping. She flipped the fuck out. It's like three in the morning. Right. First start, stop lying that his name was Ryan because we all know it was Robert Downey Jr. And stop <laughs> lying that you're friends with Robert you Downey can, Jr. No, it was Ryan. It happened in, in Bay City, Michigan. She screamed, ran to her parents' room. The dad flipped out and got his gun. Ryan locked himself in the bathroom. And then the dad was like, we're calling 911. You know, get the fuck out of my house and was freaking out. He climbed out the window. This is when the cops came. He climbed out the window and was trying to escape. He's like, I'm on like the second floor. Fell. Broke his arm. And broke his arm. Ooh, um, okay. Yeah. I would have gone with that. And then he was arrested. Uh, yeah. You just got to take his word for it that he wasn't noncing and that he genuinely, like, could he prove that he had once lived there and he's just so wasted? He did. He, there was a, a place that he lived in previously. With like three dudes. It was like some house he lived in with like a couple of roommates. He was so drunk they did this. I don't know whatever happened to that guy. I I heard that he went sober, but did they show him pictures of Jean Benet Ramsey and say, Do you fancy this young girl? You know, I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised. But but that's the thing. That's fairly common that I've known several guys that have uh accidentally broke into the house the house they used to live in. That's never once thing. happened to me. Yeah. I've never done that. That would never, I've never been that drunk. I have been drunk enough to injure myself severely on a scooter, though. Yeah. Twice. Never again. Twice. That's it. I don't let you on the scooters now. Anyway, Siege, good to hear from you. People, call the Sigron hotline 323-522-4032. Or just send us an email, sigronpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, thanks to all the listeners who support us on Patreon and Apple Podcasts. We do appreciate you keeping this show going. You're, you're the ones that keep this show sick and wrong every week. Patreon.com slash sick and wrong. Sign up today. Also, if you haven't bought uh, some merch, we've got a tea public source. Go to sickandwrongpodcast.com slash shop and click on the picture of the Pope. Finally here, sick and wrong song of the week. I was gutted to find out today that Wayne Kramer, the co-founder and guitarist of the uh, rock band MC5, died at the age of 75. There's only one left alive now. Machine yeah, just, uh, yeah, that's it. Yeah, the just only one. Just one member. Uh, Wayne Kramer uh, was a guitarist who co-created MC5, probably one of the most raw and like political, politically engaged band back at that during that era. 
they can yeah they kind of ruined it with the politics but at the same time it's also what made the band yeah i think so too because i think like the stooges were never political really Oh no, and that's but, why the Stooges are great. But these guys, I mean, they obviously were, and I kind, you know, they're kind of like the Rage Against Machine, and like, uh, you know, in a way, the late '60s. Yeah. Um. So Kramer was born and raised in Detroit. Uh, he teamed up with teenage friend and fellow guitarist Fred Sonic Smith. When did Fred die? I I laid it out for you. I was, it was like the order that they died in fucking before. So I'm pretty sure because was it? Did he die in the in the Early 2000s? Early, I think it was Mike first. Then it was Fred. Well, Rob, no, it was Tyner, Robin, Rob Robin, Robin first, then Mike, then Fred. And then between Fred and like Wayne, you're talking 20 fucking years. Yeah, I mean, I just saw Wayne Kramer two years ago at uh, the Howie Pyro benefit. I just, I kind of, yeah, it was definitely like Rob, Mike. And then um, they all just went really fast, like within years of each other. Like, because Robin was really sad. He was really young. He was like in his 40s. Yeah, that's young. So MC5 is short for the Motor City Five. And, uh, you know, they would play with Cream. They were signed to Electra, 1968. Their debut record was a live recording um, from Detroit's Grand Ballroom in uh, 1968 called Kick Out the Jams. Motherfucker. Very famous song. Um, then they went over to Atlantic and released their first studio record, um, Back in the USA, which is a great album, too, in 1970, followed by High Time, which I also have, which is really good. But, you know, the band just kind of flopped commercially, went bankrupt. I also think it had a lot to do. Well, they went bankrupt because they were giving all their fucking money to Huey P. fucking Newton as well. Yeah, and John Sinclair. Yeah. Uh, but also a lot of drug use going on back then. So they split up in 1972. But Kramer... Continued his music career alongside dealing drugs. And, you know, he went to prison for four years. Yeah. After following, after he got busted in 1975. Um, and then in 1979, when he got out, he joined funk rock band Was Not Was. Oh. Yeah, I didn't know that either. And was kind of a, you know, a, a member of the New York City underground music scene. Um, but then in the 80s, he kind of stepped out of the spotlight and worked as a carpenter. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. And then the 90s, the mid-90s, he began releasing music again. And uh, as a solo artist, he signed to uh, Epitaph, which I didn't know that either. I knew he did, like, I've never had his solo albums, but I have definitely listened to them. So, okay, Rob Tyner and Fred Sonic Smith died in the mid-1990s. That's it, yeah. But in 2001, Kramer formed a supergroup to perform MC5 music, including the Colts, Ian Asbury, and Lemmy. Michael also Which would have been amazing. Um, The the lineup didn't quite go on that long, but uh, it sort of, you know, uh, varied over the years. You know why it varied? Because Wayne's a bit of a cunt. (laughs) Yeah, I think he was difficult. And if if you don't get his sense of humor, I think he is a bit of a cunt. Whereas I've always liked... What he's got a bit of an attitude. He's bit got pompous. a bit of an attitude. I yeah. think he's funny with it, though. He's kind had. of like Fat Mike. Yeah, hard. <laughs> but uh, a couple of years ago, 2018, uh, uh, P-Town and I went and saw their 50th anniversary show here. And it was kind of a super group. But you know who was playing guitar um, in the band? It was Kim Thale from Soundgarden. Just random. Weird. Yeah, it was just this random assortment of, uh, of of people there. But there was so much, so much like rock royalty, L.A. rock royalty at that show. It was great. It was a great band. Uh, great show. But anyway, we're going to end the show here with Rambling Rose, which is 
probably one of the greatest uh, Wayne Kramer songs, even though he didn't write it. But just a just a great song. He's singing he on it. He owns it. Yeah, and it's on Kick Out the Jams. Uh, it came out in 1969. Um, yeah, as I said, it was originally written by a country uh, writer named Mary John Wilkin, along with Fred Birch and Obrey Wilson. And it was orig- first recorded by Jerry Lee Lewis in 1962, yeah. which I haven't heard his version. His version's good, but th- it, this song belongs to Wayne. He's so good at the more you suck it, the more it goes. <laughs> so well, Wayne good. Kramer was inspired by uh, soul singer Ted Taylor's version, which came out in 68. Uh, he was a member of the group, the Cadets. Uh, he said that um, it was a song that Taylor had discovered and recorded, and I used to hear it on the soul radio all the time in Detroit. We had a couple of soul stations that just played R&B. And I thought, man, that's a great song. I want to work this up with a band. I gave it a try and admit that I don't sing it as well as Ted sings it. If you ever hear his version, you'll hear how it's supposed to be sung. All right, we'll listen to that next I'll have to check that out. So rest in power, Wayne Kramer. We're going to dedicate this song to you. We're going to end the show with Rambling Rose uh, by the MC5. People will be back next week with episode 932. Until then, take a season. I want to see you see a hand out there. Let me see you see a hand. I want everybody to kick up some noise. I want to hear some revolution out there, brothers. I want to hear a little revolution. Brothers and sisters, the time has come for each and every one of you to decide whether you are going to be the problem or whether you are going to be the solution. You must choose, brothers. You must choose. It takes five seconds. Five seconds of decision. Five seconds to realize your purpose here on the planet. It takes five seconds to realize that it's time to move. It's time to get down with it. Brothers, it's time to testify and I want to know, are you ready to testify? Are you ready? I give you a testimonial. The MC5! Wrong.
today years old when I found out that guys have to go into their doctor monthly to get their foreskin trimmed, just like a monthly haircut. And frankly, I'm pretty outraged at the American school system. Like these are the things that kids need to be learning.